0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer.
1: Welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show. It is the afternoon for us here taping this live, but whenever you happen to be listening or tuning in, welcome to the day and really appreciate you tuning in and being a part of the Talent Talk audience. This show is really based around my desire to want to talk to very talented and very cool people and pick their brains, find out what they're thinking about um, hear about what books they're reading, maybe what journey they took to to get to where they are today, and hopefully pick out a few things that we think we can go back and implement in our own lives, implement with our team, maybe share with someone in our company who's struggling, who's at that same point in their journey. And, you know, as we're not at this current moment going to conferences and we're not showing up and having these, you know, kind of little easy, I guess, easy to do uh, interactions sometimes to learning something, the show has become that much more important, I think, especially for us to, to have those conversations and to share that knowledge across uh, whoever wants to listen. So We have people all around the world listening, uh, millions of downloads a year, and I'm just so thankful for the audience um, being a part of it. We've had wonderful stories come out of uh, our conversations. In fact, a lot of those stories are in my first book, The Power of Company Culture. You can find that wherever you buy your books online and it has just been translated into Vietnamese as well. So if you need it in that language, it's available. Um, so, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And, but most of you sort of get us in the podcast version, you get us after the fact. That's okay. Just make sure you subscribe on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Go there now. You can even go to TalentTalkRadio.com and you can subscribe there. That way you get alerted. Let the let the computers let you know when a new uh, new episode is up and ready to go, and you can listen whenever you have time or are on the treadmill or whatever it is you're doing when you're listening to podcasts. So, um, and finally, before we get to our guest today, do want to make sure you remember we do live tweet. Um, all of the best little one liners, uh, links to the, the the people, our guests on the show, maybe books they've listened to, uh, anything they could have mentioned or anything really smart we maybe stumbled upon, we'll sort of repost that on, on Twitter. So make sure you're following at PeopleG2 or that hashtag talent talk. And if you have uh, replies, you have questions, you have suggestions, that's the place to do it. We are active and, and monitoring that. All right, my guest today, I'm really excited to have. My first guest will be Karen Weeks. She's the SVP of People of Oder Grove, <clears throat> and then my uh, second guest after the commercial break will be Dr. Ellen Reed, mental uh, toughness expert and co-author of Relentless Solution Focus. But let's go ahead and bring in my first guest, Karen Weeks. Karen, welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So why don't you give us the, I guess the the quick version, right? What are the cliff notes? I get well the. The kids say spark notes now, but uh, what are the, uh, what's the reduced notes? I don't, you know, what is your journey? How did you get where you are? What are you doing now? What does your company do?
2: Yeah, thanks again. So I actually started in theater. I was going to be a stage manager. I did that for a few years, and I quickly realized that once that was going to be my livelihood, that was not the right career for me. So I made this switch to HR, uh, and I never looked back. Uh, I love helping people with their careers. I love helping companies build great experiences for those people while also hitting their business goals. So I've really found my niche in tech startup world. I've been there specifically for about 10 years. And currently with Order Groove, uh, we are a SaaS platform for retailers and brands to help create recurring revenue. So usually that's subscriptions. You know, if you go to petsmart.com and want to buy a bag of dog food, it will ask if you want to sign up for auto ship. And that's Order Groove. So we really partner with retailers okay. to help them with those programs. And I help people with their careers. I actually have a, a podcast that talks about different career changers. We t- talk about how to give feedback and build the authentic life and culture, you know, a life for an individual and a company to make sure you're really being successful and doing what you love.
1: Well, I love that sort of intro that you started off in theater and theater management. And that pushed you into HR because, you know, and then kind of in thinking about it, That was literally preparing you for HR, right? You have, (laughs) you're dealing with every different department, you're dealing, you're in the, you're in the background, you're not necessarily the person standing on front of the stage. You're dealing with prima donnas all day, (laughs) um, probably on a shoestring budget. I mean, so it's literally so many parallels to being in HR. So that probably is like, should be like an internship every HR person (laughs) should have to do before actually going into HR. I love that. That's great.
2: Well, and especially then I worked for a talent agency for a while. I was trying to figure out exactly what this was all going to be. And literally I'm helping actors get jobs, which is recruiting. So it really did. When I actually thought about it from a corporate lens, I said, oh, I actually think this makes sense. It's not a complete 180 like I think it is. That's a really
1: cool way to think about. A lot of people right now are thinking, how do I reinvent myself? Maybe if my industry isn't going to make it through COVID or maybe isn't going to going to be very strong very soon. I need to go into a new marketplace. And there are mm-hmm. so many employers, so much growth happening in our in our economy right now, but maybe just in a different space, maybe just yeah. somewhere, right? So you have to reinvent yourself. And that's a really great example of how you take the talents and the things that you're doing and shift them to something else that works perfectly, but now is in a completely different space. And in fact, you could be in any space, right? Going in yeah. HR, I can work for anybody. You're not restricted to, let's say, theaters, which are currently all- Shut down right now. Yeah. Right. You know, which is a bit tough.
2: Yeah. That's actually what uh, sparked the podcast was that I was working with clients that were thinking about making career changes, but were, you know, I don't know anyone who does it. No one really does that. You know, Mm. that doesn't happen. I was like, I know so many people. I need to be sharing their story so people don't feel alone and they know that it's possible, whether it's a total 180 or just finding different industries or reevaluating what's important to you, um, you can do it. And, you know, we have all these stories of people who've done it and they share their advice on what they wish they knew along the way so that others uh, can have successful journeys.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, this idea of of giving good feedback in in sort of the beginning of your intro there. And let's maybe kind of dive into that a little bit. I mean, this has been a time when people are maybe willing to talk a bit more and to get more, I've noticed a lot more vulnerability, a lot more conversations because we're sort of all into this sort of thing together, right? It's not just, geez, Sally's having a tough time in her life, but I'm fine. And so I can't relate. Like everyone's on this sort of common denominator. Um, but I guess beyond that, I mean, how, how do you suggest that we create these spaces, uh, you know, for employees to really talk about things like, maybe mental health, maybe mm-hmm. you know, this has been the year of really putting shine, shining a light on diversity and race relations and things like that. And maybe even just simple things like career goals or, yeah. you know, how, just general un- uncomfortable topics. So how do you sort of frame that out for people to think about creating that space uh, to have those conversations?
2: Yeah, and it's actually the same advice, no matter what the conversation has to be, because it's probably a little uncomfortable, especially if you're used to being in an office together and now you're remote and you're doing everything through a, a webcam. So I think it's really about building trust and the the idea of safety, where if I bring something to the conversation I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be reprimanded. It's not going to be held against me. I really can share whatever is going on, whether that is me as the manager and I actually need to have my own vulnerability and share my own struggles or share some tougher feedback to you and you know it's coming from a good place or I'm the employee and I'm struggling and I know I need help and I'm able to share that with my manager without any concern about what the conversation is going to be. But we actually have to train managers to have those conversations. We can say we want to have them as much as possible. But if we don't give managers the tools to create that trust and create that safety and space, it's going to go wrong. And then you totally deplete everything that you've promised your employee.
1: So, I mean, where do you think that we should start with that? Is this a language thing, a language approach? Is this maybe more of a systematic approach? And what I mean by that? So a language approach would be, in my company, we wouldn't ever say feedback. We would say feed forward. Right? We would change it instead of saying, well, I don't like what you did yesterday, I'm going to say, hey, the next time this comes up, can you do it this way? Right. So mm-hmm. forward. And that sort of cuts out a lot of that defensiveness and all that. Right. But a systematic approach is um, like a retrospective in Scrum, right? Agile. Right. To say, mm-hmm. OK, this is a designated meeting where we're going to show up and we're going to talk about what worked and we're going to talk about what didn't work. And it's going to be a safe place and we're going to pick and, 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 you know, pick apart what happened and then we can plan better for the next time. Right. It should pick one or is it a
2: combination or what do you think? It's interesting. I actually think it could be both depending on your organization. But before you even get to that point, I actually think leaders and managers need to role model the behavior and build it in more naturally to every conversation. So starting every conversation with, how are you and not letting I'm fine or I'm hanging in there be the end of the conversation. It's what's changed for you. What were some wins? What were some struggles opening up every one-on-one with that kind of language gets you to a place where it becomes just natural to have those kinds of conversations. And then as a manager, I think you need to show your own vulnerability and ask, have the employee ask you that question, or if they're not going to proactively share it after they talk about their week, you can share something that's going on in your life. And show you're showing that vulnerability, you're role modeling that behavior. So I think maybe that's where the language comes in, in the sense of you're role modeling it and you're showing that this is how I want you to talk about it because I'm willing to talk about it that way. But it's systematic in the sense of you're doing it every one-on-one. It's a recurring expected thing so that if it then leads to feedback or then leads to an uncomfortable conversation about my mental health or whatever that foundation is there and it doesn't feel like I need to interrupt the agenda of our one-on-one because I need to talk to you about something
1: right I've been advocating a lot for especially during this time and especially while a lot of people are remote and aren't used to being remote they should probably knock off as many one-on-ones as they can Mm -hmm. And, and the reason for that is it's 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 super hard to convert everything into a one-on-one. It's overwhelming. It's like, you know, you're in conversations all day and you get no work done. But on the flip side, like, I don't always have a way to be vulnerable in a conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't always have, like, something going on in my life that I can share that will, like, somehow make the other person happy without, like, totally lying, right? Without, yeah. like, <laughs> Right. And so, you know, and I also noticed a little bit like if I'm too vulnerable as the boss, then that sort of creates a lot of tension and people, people almost want like me to be like, you know, the knight with like a sword, like I'm going to go slay a dragon <laughs> and they don't want to see me as being like, you know, weak in any way. Right. Th- yeah. There's complexity there as well. But we've sort of been talking about our organization, do it in the group because the group, mm-hmm. we bring in five people and then we can vent and we can talk about what's dealing with two or three people have the same problem or they can connect and, mm-hmm. in a better way. And the group can generally solve the problem better than I can, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm not their therapist, but like in a group therapy session, it's a little bit different, it's a little safer. It's not like, yeah. you know, I'm not like you're telling someone. So, I mean, other are are there ways you think leaders should think about approaching this or organizing it in a way that makes more, can make sense for them if they don't have maybe the tools or that, I don't know, depth. Maybe they have the EQ, right? This is another yeah, great thing for anyone who doesn't actually have the EQ to have that conversation to get the group to help them do it. So, what, yeah. what are your thoughts
2: there? It's interesting. It's I, I can see that working in some places and maybe if you have the kind of culture that really supports that level of transparency and that focus of, um, you know, we're, we're in this together and, and we're going to get through it together and I'm here for you just as much as you're here for me. I think that in some organizations, again, it's all about the foundation that you have. So in some organizations, I, I don't know if that would work only because I think some people have a hard enough time being vulnerable with one person, let alone a couple of people. Um, and they don't even know sort of what's going on yet. And they kind of have to work it, work it out uh, until they realize what's actually bothering them. But I do agree a hundred percent that there is also a place of overdoing it in the sense of if you're having a one-on-one every single day with someone and you're like trying to tap into what vulnerability is going on with them that may be too much so usually personally what I've been doing is checking in with folks on slack during the day and then we have our weekly one-on-one and I just open the one-on-one with you know what's a win and what's something you're struggling with and that sort of leads us down a path of if there's anything if there's nothing to talk about that's totally fine let's just jump right into our agenda but at least it gives the space to have any sort of conversation if there's something top of mind. I think the other place it comes into play is if something, if you're noticing a change in someone. So maybe you don't have to do it every one-on-one, maybe it's just, you know, once a month or whatever, but if you're noticing a change in behavior, a change in performance, a change in something, that's where you wanna make sure that foundation is there so you can jump in and figure out what is going on and asking a lot of questions and it doesn't feel weird because it's part of who you, it's part of your relationship.
1: And this is the difficult part I think in uh, HR, anyone in HR or anyone who's sort of dealing with these sort of issues, it's the same sort of, you know, complexity as even lawyers have, right? That it's not one size fits all. Yes. It's not like I, you can ask me this question and I can give you the same answer for every company and every team and every group and every division. You got to get in there and figure it out. You got to get in there and and, and work at it and, and hopefully, like you said, create enough uh trust and enough that, that things can maybe begin to be worked on in a more holistic level a larger level but yeah you get in there and you may show up day one as a leader and realize that like everyone's hiding under their desk figuratively and doesn't want to talk and doesn't want to say what's really going on and how do you get from point a to point d with yeah without losing your mind right
2: <laughs> yeah, I am a big believer of what is right for your organization, whether you call that authenticity, whether you call that your culture, whatever you want to, whatever way you want to describe it. But, you know, it's, it's like how people used to talk about perks, which is so different these days. But, you know, having a ping pong table was cool for Google. It might not be cool for you. It's the same way with how you have conversations, the way you train your managers, what people should expect of their teammates. It's, of course, there are some fundamentals that everybody should be doing just because it's good best practices. But what that actually looks like for your organization, it's so important to figure that out for what's right for you. You know, Order Group has tried things that I know a lot of other companies do, and it just doesn't fly for us for whatever reason. And that's okay. We should do what's right for us.
1: Right. Well, I love the ping pong example because <laughs> it's come up a hundred times on the show, I think, before. Yeah. And and I can't tell you how many times I've had CEOs call me and say, you know, just isn't something right with my culture. I don't know what's going on. They want me to help them. And I go, cool. Tell me about your culture. Well, you know, I have a video game room. <laughs> and we've got ping pong. And, you know, we do beer Friday sometimes. And I go, yeah, I said to talk about your culture. Yeah. And like they're like, they think that these perks, right, these yeah. things that are distractions that are maybe pet little pet projects of the CEO. The CEO thinks it's <laughs> cool to have Pac-Man in the lunchroom and everyone else care less, right? like, no, that's not culture. Yeah. You know, that's not, you know, how you get stuff done, your norms. I mean, this is like, that's culture, right? Or do you give feedback or do you not get feedback? Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of stuff.
2: I I was just going to say, it's interesting because I also see it from the candidate perspective. So as I'm doing interviews, it used to be, tell me about your culture. What are your perks? And they knew that it was a question that you're supposed to ask, but they didn't really understand why they were asking. Now I have candidates talk about, How did you decide to go home back in march when COVID was starting how did you address black lives matter how have you decided if you're going to go back to the office and when you're going to go back what are you telling your teams they now have actual tangible things that matter to them that is a reflection of our culture um and i've really seen that shift amongst candidates as well
1: yeah and those are those are some heavy questions to to ask you know to as a candidate i mean and I'm sure not all candidates are going to feel comfortable doing that. You better be a top candidate <laughs> uh, probably to really swing that baseball bat. But I mean, yeah, if you, and that's that, that's great. I mean, if someone asked me that, I'd be super impressed, right? If they yeah. were really giving me lofty questions, questions that might I might stumble with, that I might mm-hmm. not have. And I'd be like, okay, and I might have somebody. That's a, that's a great yeah. tip for any candidate. Well, you know, what, another thing that's kind of come up and I'm hoping to get see what you you're sort of thinking about is around this idea of how do we maybe tinker with performance reviews or how how should that be happening? Or what are you guys doing? Especially when everybody's remote, right? Do you guys have a difference of what you're doing? Are you tinkering it? Is it just the same thing, but just over a zoom call, what does that look like?
2: Yeah, so it's really interesting because our reviews, we call them development feedback. So it's a mix of feedback around how have, you know, what are ways you've made an impact to the business? And so those are sort of your strengths Uh, areas, focus on value. So what's one value you've lived really well and one value that maybe you've struggled with? Um, And then finally, development goals. And so it's all open ended questions and it's meant to focus both on what's happening in the here and now, but also future looking as well. And what do you really want to focus on as you think about your next six months, for example? And so while obviously ways you've made an impact to the business tend to tie to KPIs or whatever, it doesn't have to. And so one thing that I'm going to be training uh, the team on going into our performance cycle that happens in like the February time frame is think about things outside of maybe the day-to-day job because those targets may have changed and things outside of their control may have changed. You know, if they had a book of business where they had clients coming and going more so than usual, retention may not be a fair metric to, Um, really focus on of course it's important to the business but it may not be solely within their hands this year and so focus more on you know helping clients through the roller coaster of 2020 or how did you adjust to help your team who is you know struggling through this thing and so really focusing on the broader picture of ways that they made an impact to the business maybe not just the typical kpis that they focused on in the past so that's one thing that i'm going to really coach the managers on this year
1: and and as we are closing out here 2020, I like to call it the dumpster fire of a year. <laughs> um, you know, I, I am hosting a webinar tomorrow. We're going to talk about, like, what are the things that we should keep? Like, what are the good things that have come out of 2020 that, that we maybe we didn't want to have to go through a pandemic to get there, but, like, you know, something good happened. So, you know, are, are there learnings? Are there things that you're going to take that Order Grove is going to, you know, keep or implement or try to keep going regardless of what happens with, with COVID?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. We were very much an in-office company, and we had a couple of people that were remote, but they were sales folks or people that it sort of made sense that they weren't in the office. And we have totally shattered that. So we are still remote today for safety reasons, but we're actually going to move to a flexible work from anywhere Um, with an asterisk that has to be within the U.S., but um, if you want to go in the office five days a week, once we're back, you can. If you want to do it a couple of days, fine. If you never want to go back, that's fine. If you want to move outside of the New York area, that's fine. Like, we just need to set it up, you know, from a business standpoint, but we have no concerns that We already have 10 people, I think, that have moved outside of New York. We're hiring outside of New York, so the whole idea of we do not have to be in the office together 24-7 has really shifted um, both how we Are working together in a way that we never thought we could but also the uh, ability to support our team and to live sort of the lives that they want to live like they may not want to live in new york anymore and that's totally fine i think flexibility and authenticity have always been things that were really important to us and where we defined it in other ways but now we're really bringing into the literally where do you want to be and how do you work so If, you know, working, taking an hour off at lunch every day because you need that mental space to refresh, that's fine. If you need to go for walks in the afternoon while you do a lot of phone calls versus video calls, that's fine. It's whatever is going to set you up for success and be the best version of you that you can be. And COVID forced that, right? Like people were homeschooling and living with five roommates or living in a studio by themselves. But we really saw people start to own their time and try to figure that out on their own and still be very successful. So we're gonna keep pushing that forward and redefining what that looks like.
1: It's really amazing when you give people autonomy, right? And you say, yeah. hey, you can go and do this. All we care about is these these metrics, these KPIs, like what are these outcomes? We've agreed to that, go do your thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and for us, that's always worked really well. And of course you have sometimes some people stumble and you gotta go back sure. and, and you look a little harder what they're doing or how they're doing it. But man, most of the time they know far better how to manage their time and how to be productive and how to like have incredible outcomes than anyone else could ever give them. Right. So I'm, this is the thing I'm really thankful for that COVID has given people is this perspective to realize, oh, don't have to micromanage. Oh, I don't have to see them in the cubicle farm to know they're working. Right. Yes. We can, we can change this. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you my Two final questions. Very important. And first is, is there a book that you're reading right now or maybe one that you read this year that you think, you know, somebody listening might want to check out?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually read Julie Kratz wrote a book, um, and I hope I get the title exactly right, but it's How to Be an Ally. And it's, um, a st- it's actually a business novel with things written in about how to actually be an ally. But to me, it really spoke to, you know, in those moments of microaggression or when you see something that doesn't quite make sense, how to speak up and be an ally to someone in the organization. Um, and just when I read it and how she wrote it just really, really spoke to me. So I've been recommending that one to a lot of folks. Awesome. And finally, most importantly... How can people find out more about
1: Order Grove? How can they find out more about you or reach out if they're interested in working with you, working for you, and all of that?
2: Yeah, so, uh, of course, we have a careers page, so it's just ordergroove.com slash careers. Uh, we are hiring in, in most of our departments, and we'll open up even more roles in 2021, so check that out. And personally, um, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the fastest way to reach me. But I also have a website, karendweeks.com, where I throw uh, some moments like this. So you can see some of the uh, places where I've shared some of my advice, um, but also uh, worksheets on how to make career changes, some templates that I've used with organizations on how to think about some culture initiatives, um, and just some other things about me and um, things that I have found successful in my learning. So hopefully it helps others as well.
1: And I probably want to spell it because I think I have uh, unintentionally said the company name a few different ways, a few different times, because that's what I do every podcast. I (laughs) speak at least one name up somehow. So it's order, O-R-D-E-R, and then groove, like, you know, to have a groove, G-R-O-O-V-E. So put that all together. You can find them. They can help you out. Thank you so much, Karen, for being a part of the show today. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. Great. Thank you
2: so much for having me.
1: All right. We'll be right back after our uh, quick commercial break. And we'll bring in my second guest, Dr. Ellen Reed.
3: Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Karen Weeks of
3: Order Groove,
1: as I mispronounced earlier. Um, You can listen to that interview. It'll be on iTunes if you go there and subscribe or if you like Spotify or Stitcher or iHeartRadio, wherever you like to go for your podcast, just go there now, subscribe to Talent Talk, and then you'll never miss an episode. You can also go to talenttalkradio.com. We have all of our episodes there since we started way back years ago. So there's hundreds and hundreds of interviews there you can look through and and listen and subscribe to. All right. Uh, and we don't, don't forget, we're also live tweeting all of this. So if you go to Twitter at PeopleG2 or use that hashtag Talent Talk, you can see all the best Little bits of advice, information, links to books, profiles, company links, anything you might have wished you you wrote down, maybe while you were listening to this when you were jogging or something, um, they'll all be there for you. So let's go ahead and bring in my next guest. Uh, we're going to bring in uh, Dr. Ellen Reed, mental toughness expert and co-author of Relentless Solution Focus. So uh, Ellen, thanks so much for being a part of the show today.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: Why don't you tell them a little bit about your story? What's your journey? How did you get to where you are today? And what are you doing today that is important for us to know?
4: Sure. So, well, I received my doctorate in psychology from St. Louis University, and I work alongside my colleague, Dr. Jason Selk, who developed the program that I use to coach my clients on developing the relentless solution focus process. Now, I, I guess a little bit about my journey. Um, so I actually I'm also a professional dancer. <laughs> um, so I in college I was the uh, gymnastics I was working at a gymnastics center as a dance instructor, and there was this coach who volunteered to coach the boys' team on the weekends, and I happened to you know start a conversation with him, and I told him I was studying psychology, and he said, "Well, gosh." Do you know what I do? And it turns out that that coach was Dr. Jason Selk, who later became the sports psychology consultant for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, when I met him, it was great timing because he was just about to start working with the Cardinals, and he knew he was going to need somebody to come on and help. Um, so it was really being at the right place at the right time, and I found myself kind of in the perfect Um, merging of what I was doing, being able to work with, um, you know, athletes, um, business professionals on increasing their performance, whatever that performance means to you, you know, whether it's your performance on stage or your performance on the basketball court or in the boardroom um, and merging that with my, you know, passion for psychology. Um, So that's a little bit about kind of how I got involved in what I'm doing now. But now I coach individuals on a daily basis, again, using these fundamentals.
1: So can you kind of explain what is the Relentless Solution Focus? I know that's the name of the book and yeah. it kind of relates into in helping people with their mental toughness, it's, which makes a lot of sense when you're thinking about sports, right? Yes. Uh, especially people are under the spotlight and that much pressure making all that money, that mental toughness is a huge thing. But like translating that into... I'm a customer service representative, you know, and I sit in the back of a cubicle farm. You know, so how does this sort of correlate and what does that what does that work look like?
4: Yes, yes. So Relentless Solution Focus is essentially a way of training mental toughness, right? Because we know, you know, mental toughness, you know, what does that it means different things to different people sometimes. But what Jason found, you know, he started in the sports world. So he was, like I said, working with the St. Louis Cardinals and working with a lot of professional athletes. And he started to find that, you know, business professionals were coming to him and finding a lot of kind of overlaps and parallels. And these fundamentals that were working so well with professional athletes really are working so well with business professionals. And, you know, even, you know, students or, you know, athletes, anybody, the fundamentals are so universal. So let me kind of tell you what relentless solution focus is so very simply it's the mind's ability to stay focused on solutions what it is and it's simple in concept but it can be very difficult in execution because our minds are simply not wired for that right like we are wired with what's called problem centric thought which means that our brains want to focus on and hone in on the problems or the negative in the situation first you know, think about if you're maybe the kind of person that does 99 things right in a day. And when you're driving home from work, that one thing that you did less than perfectly is what sticks in your mind. You know, I think that that's a pretty normal scenario that most of us can find ourselves in pretty often. Now, what Jason found and Jason spent years working with and studying some of the most highly successful people on the planet. And what he found to be a common thread, you know, among all of these highly successful individuals is that they had this ability to stay focused on solutions, you know, especially when it mattered most. And so what we do through our process is teach people to retrain their brains away from this problem-centric thought that's so normal for us onto the ability to be able to get their thoughts onto a solution faster.
1: Well, I really love that, and I may be making a an unneeded shortcut here, but you know, reminds me a little bit of the work I've done in appreciative inquiry, which is really sort of focusing things on the positive, right? Which is basis in psychology. And so yes. it's, it's really common for people to walk around going, well, I'm a good problem solver. Well, that's inherently negative. You aren't focusing on the problem, right? Instead of saying, well, I'm a solution focused person, right? Or, you know, if a client comes to you and they're upset, we'll go, well, what would, what does what an ideal solution look like? Instead of saying, well, why are you mad and what's the problem and how do I get you back to where you were, five minutes before you were mad at me. Right. Yes. Um, Yeah. yeah. And, and, and a lot of times there's a better, the client coming to you with a small issue, you realize there's a larger thing that you can do. That's even better for them, for you, you can upsell them. You can create a better, you know, uh, relationship and whatever that may be uh, by looking at, you know, lots of different possibilities or or, uh, or positive deviance or all those sort of types of things. Yes. The other thing that kind of was, I was thinking about as you were talking though, is is this also kind of connected to some of those cognitive biases where we have this like constant desire to avoid loss, to avoid, you know, like this, like we don't, we, losing $10 is like way more painful than the equivalent positive yes. experience yes. of winning a hundred dollars.
4: Yes. Right? Yes.
1: Yes. Well, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying, how does that play into what you're, what you're talking about?
4: You said a few different things that made me kind of think about um, the importance of this, that people get so consumed with trying to solve the entirety of the situation or the entirety of the problem that they don't even get to that first step, right? So what we talk about a lot, and we break this down, you know, really specifically in the book, but I think it's important to to kind of throw this out there right away, that It's important to focus on the next, what Jason calls, plus one solution. So when you get caught up in the entirety perspective, where you're trying to take in the entirety of the problem, and like that's where the problem solver kind of situation or example you gave comes into play, like trying to really wrap your brain around the whole entirety of the problem really results in a lot of times that learned helplessness where people give up before they even start because the task at hand seems so daunting. But forcing your brain to come up with the next one inch or the next inch of improvement, the next iota of a step is really where you start to see significant improvement. And so we teach this relentless solution-focused tool, which I think can be really useful and so I think if anybody listening out there can just write this down because this is, this can be so helpful. And the verbiage of this is really important. It's called the Relentless Solution Focus Tool. And the tool is in the form of a question. And the question is, what is one thing I can do that could make this better? What is one thing I can do that could make this better? And the verbiage of that question is so important because it's focusing you on one thing I can do, not what is the thing or what is the solution that's going to solve this problem in its entirety, but what's one thing I can do that could make this better? So we're just looking for improvements, right? So we've got to redefine the way we think about solutions from complete resolution to improvement, and, you know, what may seem slow at first is actually the fastest way to get there, again, because of that getting consumed and wrapped up in that entirety perspective where learned helplessness sets in and all the negative emotions associated with focusing on a problem. And we can talk about the, the biological effects of this, too, that when your brain is focused on a problem, that sends a signal for your body to release cortisol. You know, we're all probably pretty familiar with cortisol because we see it on the commercials about, you know, heart disease and things like that. But cortisol is a stress hormone. And in mild doses, you know, it actually has some performance enhancing qualities. But at even moderate doses, cortisol, it significantly decreases intelligence and creativity It makes you feel like garbage. You know, you experience stress. You experience that cortisol flowing through your veins. You know, you feel terrible. And so this is where the science behind this stuff is so compelling to me that, you know, optimism is essentially, relentless solution focus is essentially optimism. It's essentially a concrete way of training yourself to be optimistic and optimism has been extensively researched, and the benefits of optimism have been extensively researched. You know, optimistic people have been shown to live on average 14 years longer than those who do not possess those optimistic qualities, and, you know, we see the effects of this in our clients every day, but I think the research is so compelling, and, you know, I have my background in psychology, so I love, you know, the science and the research behind this stuff, Um, but when you focus on the entirety of the situation, again, that learned helplessness sets in, you give up before you even start, and your brain gets stuck in this loop of the problem, right? But if you take that next first step by asking, what is one thing I can do that could make this better, you're getting one step closer, but what's more important is that your brain is now focused on solutions. So making that next step is going to make it so much easier to take the next step after that and say, okay, now what's one thing I could do that could make this better? And then you ask right. the question again, now what's one thing I could do that can make this better?
1: And that makes it so much more palatable. I mean, that, so yes. we, we've, we've talked about this on the show before, this um, idea of the aggregation of marginal gains, which is, is a complicated way of saying, like, how do you get 1% better? Yes. You know, we, we started talking about that in our organization. That became a goal of just getting 1% better. And we didn't put any parameters around that. We didn't say 1% better a day. We didn't say a month. We didn't say a year. We sort of let them all take, run and take that for themselves and what that meant. And so like one department was really focused on getting 1% better every month. And another department was, you know, basically trying to get 1% better every day. And, it, but, but that, it didn't really matter to your point. It was small enough goals and small enough approaches that we're not trying to say, geez, our customer service scores are here. We want, you know, are at 40%, we want them to be at 100%. We yes. need a solution that will get us all that way there. That's just not how it works. Yes. Right. And I think people who do this, people who have studied this, you know, really experienced leaders understand that. And yet I'm surprised that most people don't know that. Yeah. They think someone's gonna walk in the door with the magic bag of ideas and be like, here's one for you. Here's yes. and you're gonna solve all of your problems in one thing. And that's just not it, right? Yes.
4: Yes. Well, and another reason that, that is so that one percent better, right? Is so impactful is because of self-confidence so let me kind of break this down because I think that this is so important for people to understand that self-confidence is the number one predictor of all performance so it's Mm. been empirically studied that empirically speaking there is nothing more important or more impactful for your performance than your self-confidence so learning about yourself that I can get 1% better, and then another percent better, and then another percent better. Learning about yourself that you achieve what you set out to achieve versus saying, I have to go from 40% to a hundred percent, right? Like setting those realistic expectations, realistic goals, one solution at a time, one step at a time really has a significant impact on our self-confidence, which then has a very significant impact on our performance. So, you know, we talk about some goal setting in the book and, you know, there's, There's a lot of really common mistakes that we see all the time in terms of goal setting. And I would say one of the biggest mistakes is setting, setting it high, hoping to get close, that kind of Mm. shoot for the moon and land amongst the stars mentality when it comes to goal setting that, well, let me, let me say this because there is a little bit of a caveat there. When you're thinking about time periods of three years or longer, that mentality of set it high and hope to get close is okay because it opens your mind up kind of to the possibilities of what's out there. But when you're looking at time periods of less than three three years, there's no empirical evidence that that set it high, hope to get close mentality works. And in fact, it's oftentimes very counterproductive to your performance. So If we want to get, I think it's helpful to kind of have some numbers attached to this that, you know, you don't want to shoot for more than a 10 to 20% increase over what you're already doing. Anything over that, then you're really asking yourself to screw up because you're asking yourself to really take hit after hit on your self-confidence. You know, and I think people kind of think of self-confidence as kind of like a soft quality, you know, (laughs) like I, I can beat myself up and that'll really make me work harder. But in fact, it's really the opposite. We've got to learn to focus on what we do well. We've got to learn to focus on our strengths and then focus on, hey, what's one thing I want to improve tomorrow, rather than what's normal for people is to evaluate themselves with a very perfectionist mentality where they tend to you know, beat yourself up when you fall short, you know, really beat the heck out of yourself for that one mistake you made, even in the midst of the 99 things that you did right that day. Um, And people are also typically very quick to dismiss what they're doing well. So again, you know, that self-confidence, there's nothing more mentally strong and mentally tough than working on developing your self-confidence. But I think a lot of times you're right. Like people kind of think of it as almost like a soft quality,
1: Right. You really brought up a lot of good points there. And I think one that I wanted to kind of start with was the this idea of self-confidence and, you know, it having such an impact on everything that's going to happen for people. And so we can look at some co- good examples and we can go back to sports since that's where we started. And let's say, let's look at a Tiger Woods or LeBron James or, you know, Kobe Bryant or, I mean, let's go on and on. Name some yeah. famous professional athlete, right? Right. Look at these people. And they, go, they have incredible skill and they have incredible confidence. But they didn't They didn't like pop out of their mom that way, right? right? They didn't just appear into the world fully confident and totally talented. In fact, if you look at their lives, they may have some bits of their physiology that gives them some advantage. However, 99% of that was they worked hard and they have been working hard at this longer than everyone else has, right? And yes. so it's practice gives them the ability, gives them that special thing. And because they've practiced all the time and they're, you know, have it down, they have a high level of confidence. Yes. And so they can go into these things. And then that sort of correlates to like someone who doesn't do that. You haven't practicing your skills. If you're not reading books and you're not trying to get better as a leader and you're not doing yes. any of these things, well, of course you walk into a room and everyone's upset. Maybe your team's upset with you and you're going to have a low self-confidence because Right. You don't have any tools. You haven't practiced it. You haven't done anything to be ready for this situation. Yes. And then, but yet somehow we go back to the magic bag of, of solutions that will take us, you know, just let me read one article and I can magically know how to solve, you know, the top three things to tell your team not to be a bad leader, which right, is not a real right, thing, right. right?
4: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, and I think that that's such a good point. And, you know, it's easy to point to kind of athletes because it's almost like, you go, you spend more time at the gym, you know, or you you know, spend more time practicing. But just like you spend those that those hours in the gym as an athlete, you can work on and you can practice your mental game, your mental toughness. And that's, you know, that's exactly what the process that Jason developed does. That, you know, there are those individuals that seem to have this sort of like superhuman alien level of mental toughness, right? Like we've seen the documentaries of these like extraordinary feats of human accomplishment, right? So some of us are born with it, but most of us have to learn it, you know? And I think that people think a lot of times about like the strength between your ears as something that you're either born with or you're not. But exactly what you're saying that, you know, when you practice and when you work on things and when you study things, you cannot help but get better at it. It's like when you're in the gym doing your bicep curls, you know, you're, when you're doing your bicep curls, your biceps cannot help but get stronger. And when you put the effort and you put the consistent training into your mental game, your mental strength cannot help but get better. And that's where I think that, you know, it can't just be a pep talk. You know, this is one of the things that, you know, whenever we're speaking about our process, you know. I love a good pep talk, right? Like you, usually a pep talk is good for maybe a day or two, but unless you get in there and you really start doing the work or you do something consistent, you're not going to see the results, right? Knowing something does nothing, doing something does. So just like these athletes, you know, that have achieved these great things are in there working and working and working. You can put in the work to develop that mental strength. Now, the good news, too, here is that, you know, where you might have to spend hours in the gym as an athlete, the mental side of things takes so much less time. You know, really, it's broken down into three minutes a day. We've got two tools in the book. If you do both of them on a consistent basis, on a daily basis, it takes you no more than three minutes a day. So it can be done. It just takes consistent training.
1: Right. And, you know, and I think that's uh, something that people can do. I'm, I will slightly disagree with you. I think that, you know, there's this, this idea that people are born with certain things. And I, I think you're obviously born with your height. You're born with your
4: yeah you yeah know,
1: certain body structures. But really, I remember, and I've learned this a lot by asking for many years in this show, we asked, you know, tell me about like some great leader in your life. And and almost always people told me about a parent, a grandparent. Yeah an older brother, an older sister, someone in their life who taught them these important lessons and taught them things, right? And wasn't that they just were born and then like, well, I'm a good leader, right? Yes, yes. I have, you know, I would consider myself a good leader. If I look back at my experiences versus other people that I know in my age, like I was around my grandparents a lot more. I was in their businesses. I was exposed to things earlier and then I went and did things with it, right? Like Yes. I had lemonade stands and I would always win the magazine subscription contest in, in, in elementary school. And, like, yes. I learned that stuff. Right. So, I like to remind people of that because if you weren't that person and you are find yourself wherever you are in your life right now, it doesn't matter what happened.
3: Yes. Right? You,
1: you don't need to have a fixed mindset that I can't do it. Yes, I may never be able to to play basketball as well as LeBron James, both because of time and age, but also right. I don't have some of the physical attributes, but from right. a mental standpoint, right? I can do anything else anybody else does, but I, we have to do it 1% of the time. We have to work to get a little bit better, right? Yeah. until they invent i don't know if you remember the movie the matrix where they like you know put the yeah. thing in the back of his head and like magically he could fly yep. in an airplane Yep.
4: <laughs> and wait if
1: that ever happens i'll be the first one to sign up to do it right right um, <laughs> but until then we have to read the manual one page at a time we have to work yeah. the things one bit at a time right
4: yes absolutely absolutely do i have time can i can i teach one of the tools because i think this would be really absolutely, really please okay. it would just a
1: few minutes left here so we'll give you the last okay. word
4: yes okay so if you guys can get in the habit of every day or at least 3 days a week writing down and answering these 3 questions. Again, don't spend no more than don't spend any more than a minute on it. But question number 1, what 3 things did I do well today? Three things that I do well today. It doesn't have to be curing cancer. Just three things that that did well. Maybe you woke up before the alarm. Maybe you spent five minutes of quality time with your kids before bed without devices. Eat um, a salad maybe,
1: instead of pizza. Something, exactly,
4: right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so number one, three things that I do well today. Give yourself credit where credit is due. Number two, what is one thing I want to improve tomorrow? Limit yourself to no more than one. One thing I want to improve tomorrow. And then number three, what is one thing I can do that could help make that improvement? So in those three questions, you're forcing yourself to give yourself credit where credit is due. And remember how important self-confidence is. That three things you did well, that's putting like little pennies into your piggy bank of self-confidence. And self-confidence is the number one predictor of performance. And then the second two questions are keeping your focus on improvement. Whereas it's normal for you to want to leave your workday and think, okay, what are all the things that I screwed up today? Or what are the things? Why what am I gonna be behind on? You know, it's normal for our brains to want to go to that negative and those problems. But asking yourself instead, what's one thing I want to improve tomorrow? Keeps your focus on solutions. It trains your brain to stay focused on solutions, just little by little, one day one day at a time, one solution at a time. And then that third question, what's one thing I can do that could help make that improvement, forces you to come up with something actionable to do. Right? Because you may know you want to improve something, but doing something to take that step towards making that improvement, again, you'll really, if you do this on a consistent basis, you're going to take advantage of your brain's ability to mold itself. And you'll start to notice that you may not default to that normal negative problem centric thinking. And your brain is going to be better able to recognize your strengths and what you're doing well and being better able to attack problems by focusing on the next solution or the next improvement.
1: Well, that's a great practice. And I hope that someone out there listening will take that and use it and hopefully absorb some things we talked about today. If they really want to, if you just think about where you want to be this time next year. Yeah. And what is it going to take? I run a couple of book clubs and I just sent a note out to everyone and said, you know, if you would have shown up every month and just read the one book, here are the 12 books that you would have read this year. Yeah. It was incremental. It was just a little commitment each month, right? And I I just kind of changed my messaging, and it was like, boom, we had double the amount of people commit. They're going to be in January. They're going to read the book. Because it was like, they went, wow, I could be that? I could have done 12 books? I mean, a lot of people don't even buy 12 books, let alone, you know, they they put six or seven on their dresser, and they never get to them.
4: Right, Um, right.
1: Commit to something small. Commit to the little thing, right? Absolutely.
4: I think that's so great. And I think it's such great timing for that message right now. Like we're coming up on New Year's, right? (laughs) Don't be tempted to come up with three goals or five goals or even two goals. Pick one. Pick one thing that you want to work on improving in your life in 2021 and focus on that.
1: Well, how can people find Dr. Ellen Reed out there? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Find out more, maybe find out more about your company. Let us know.
4: Great. So you can find find us on relentlesssolutionfocus.com. That'll take you to some really great tools. I am on Instagram. I think I'm Dr. Ellen Reed <laughs> I, on Twitter. And if you go to JasonSelk.com, you'll find all the information you need. So JasonSelk.com or RelentlessSolutionFocus.com.
1: I think on Twitter, you're at Ellen underscore Reed underscore. If I'm looking okay. at my Twitter feed <laughs> <Thank> right <you. laughs> now going here by here. But yeah, I'm sure they can find you. you can go to Twitter. You can find her there. Uh, if you have any more trouble, um, you can always reach out to us and we'll get you in contact. But hopefully people yes. can, can uh, you know, continue to look at your work, get some more helping with coaching. Yes. And uh, we'd love to have you come back at some point uh, and do, a, do another interview. Maybe we could bring uh, Jason along as well and yes. do like a, a yes. co-thing Absolutely. for an hour. That'd be a lot of fun. So
4: Absolutely. That would be great.
1: All right. Thank you so much for being on the Thanks, show today. Chris. And uh, hopefully everyone uh, was able to pick out something they can use in their own career yes. in a positive way. Uh, But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.